All right, guys. It's me again. Hi. How are we doing? All right, guys. You want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to finish the chapter off here, finally. I could stay in this chapter for months, I'm telling you. There's so much in here. It's so good. God's love. All right, guys. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Father, Again, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity that you've blessed me with to just uh, be able to be used by you, Lord. Just to be a vessel for you, Lord, for uh, you to work in and through me to speak to your children. Just the honor that it is to just have a relationship with you and um, just to see what you want to do through my life for your people, Lord. is It's overwhelming at times, Lord. And um, I, think, I just thank you for this opportunity. And I pray that I would just uh, do you justice and that I would glorify you, Lord. We just thank you for this section, Lord, of just what your love is, just what your love means, not only the emotion, Lord, but but the action, the unconditional love that you have shown us, Lord. And I pray that you would just uh, impress it upon our hearts more, just the truth of the situation, Lord, just the truth of, of what you say in your word. I pray that you would be true, Lord, and every man a liar, and that this this time would just... Uh, be lifted up to you and that it would glorify you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so over the last two weeks, we've been looking at the greatest gift, and we've learned that the greatest gift is love, right? And we also saw again that God is love, as mentioned in 1 John, so God is the greatest gift. We learned that in comparison to the spiritual gifts that God bestows upon us, all of them fail in comparison to love, in comparison to God himself. We'll learn that we can be a gifted teacher, that we can prophesy in his name, we can teach sermons, we can heal the lame, we can cast out demons, we can move mountains, and we can even die as a martyr in the name of Christ. But if we don't have love, if we don't have God, it's all for nothing. If we don't have love, it profits us nothing. If we don't have God, it's useless. And when I really think about this, even this morning, as I woke up to practice my study, as I always do, because I get, want to make sure it's nice and fine-tuned, and I wake up and my, my iPad is dead, and I had it plugged in all night long, and I'm freaking out, and I plug it in, and it's not charging for 40 minutes, and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? All my notes are on there, I just don't know. And I think about even the gift of this, this iPad and everything you can do, I can surf the web, and I can copy and paste scriptures, and I can do all my no- notes on here, right? But if it doesn't have electricity, if it's not charged, it's worthless. And it even makes me think about God's love. Like we have all these gifts that we can use to glorify God. But if we don't have love, we're useless. And it's, I kind of see myself in this iPad. If I don't have the spirit of God inside me, although I can perform all these great things, it's useless. But thankfully, there's tech support from Apple and I figured out how to fix it and charge it. So we're all good. Um... (laughs) But last week we looked at the qualities of God that is expressed through his love for us. Um, We looked how without God we can do nothing, right? We cannot be long-suffering or patient. We cannot be kind. We cannot bear all things. We cannot hope all things. We cannot believe all things. We cannot endure all things that this world has for us. But only through Christ can we do all things. And that's what we focused on last week. So we are called to be an example to our friends, to our family, to our church, to our our world. We're called to be an example of that, that love to our world. We're called to be a light to the world. As Matthew says in 
Chapter 5. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Right? So we're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to shine the light, shine the love of God into the world so they can see that there's something different about us. Something that this world does not know. That we're a representation of God to this world. A world that does not know his perfect love, his unconditional love. It only knows sin and corruption and pain and hurt and anxiety. A world that rejoices in iniquity. But a world that also desires love. Right? As I look through my life and you know, I work in a gym, I look around, because I've been there, and I see these people desiring love as they work out and they spend four hours a day in the gym looking at themselves, trying to get, you know, to look a certain way so they'll get acceptance from our society. I've been there too, and it falls short. Even as I sat at Starbucks and this week and studied, I saw a guy next to me with like a math book, a science book, a history book, and studying all these different things just to gain knowledge but if we don't have God, it's, we learned it's, it's worthless. It doesn't profit us. So today we're going to look at the ending here in chapter 13, and we're going to finish it up, verses 8 through 13, and kind of see that we've been looking for love in all the wrong places, and the world looks for love in all the wrong places. And we'll look at the, that which is perfect. So we'll go ahead and read verses 8 through 13. <clears throat> The Bible says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest is love. So we begin in verse 8, we see right off the bat, love never fails. Right now, this is like what I'm all about. This is what I long for on a weekly basis. This is what I crave. When I'm in the Word, and I'm in the presence of God, and I'm feeling down, and I come across something like this, the Word of God tells me love never fails. It can also be interpreted, love will not end. It's eternal. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm in this game for. Promises like that. Truth like that. The promises of God in heaven to His children. Truth that the Father gives to us in His Word. So many people ask me, you know, Josh, why do you believe in this? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why are you so religious? Why do you teach Bible studies? Why do you do this and that, right? And I ask us too, like, why are we here today? Why are we giving up our time on a Sunday when we could be doing other things? Why are pastors sacrificing their entire lives doing Bible studies when really it profits you nothing? When you think about the, the Christian faith, it really doesn't do much for you in the worldly sense. You don't really gain a lot. Why are we suffering through persecutions? Why are people in the Middle East being beheaded by the tens of thousands for this religion, for this man, Jesus? Because if you think about it, there's really no proof, right? There's no like 100% proof that Jesus is real, that this is real. Like you can't touch the proof. You can't feel the proof. 
You can't really observe the proof is what they tell you, right? So why do we do it? Why are we even here? You know, this week it was a, actually yesterday it was an awesome opportunity and I'm sitting there and I'm praying um, because next week we're going to get into tongues and I started speaking in tongues for the first time. And as I'm doing it, my unbelief in my spirit is like, Josh, you're crazy. What are you doing right now? This is nuts. Like, what are you saying? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, is this real? Really, Josh? Like, you're sitting in your car by yourself speaking in this weird language that you're probably making up? But that's just my unbelief. Because it is real. And here's the proof for me. When five years ago God found me, I was depressed and I was anxious and I was at the bottom, hit rock bottom of my life. I was struggling and where he's brought me now. So the fact that his word has never failed me. So for 22 years of my life, I built my life on things that the world told me I should build it on, right? On family. My family's let me down over and over again through my life. I built it on my career as a personal trainer. That's let me down because you figure out real quick that you're just a number and you're disposable. I built it on my fitness. That can be taken away. I built my life on all these different things that the world tells you you should build your life on only to be let down. Nothing that I've experienced in the world up to that point had been true. And it wasn't until I began to build my life on the word of God, on the Bible, on Jesus and his life, that I began to experience truth for the first time. Was I not being told lies anymore as I walked and talked with this man? So for 22 years, the world let me down. But for the past five years, he's proven that it's true to me through my experiences as I implement his word into my life, as I exercise his word into my life, as I take what he says to me and I put it into practice and I say, dang, this actually works. So why would I ever think about going away from that when that's all I've ever wanted in my life was truth, acceptance. I just, I just don't want to be lied to. I'm sick of being lied to by the world. I'm sick of being let down. I'm sick of being built up to a certain point and then having the rug pulled from under me. I'm sick of it. I'm only 27. Some people go their whole lives. And how terrible is that? How much pain does that pile on you? So why would I ever want to do that? Because the world doesn't agree with me? Because it makes them feel insecure? Because it's not convenient for their life of sin? So basically, I shouldn't accept it because you don't like the way I'm living my life. Well, I'm sorry. This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Because as it says right here, love never fails. So until the word of God fails me, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep on trucking. I'm going to keep on reading. I'm going to keep on teaching. And when that day comes, when this, when this word fails me, then we'll reevaluate. But until then, I'm going head down in a straight line. Because nothing else has ever, has ever been truer than this. And you know, when it comes to the world telling us these things, we're not supposed to fit into the world. Like, I really want you guys to understand that. I know a lot of us, including myself, try to fit into the world, but it's not supposed to happen. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.38 that the world is not worthy of us. We're called to be not of this world. This is not our home. This is not our eternal destination. It's not for us. It's a preparation time for eternity. This world is fallen and sick and decaying and corrupt. That's not what God has for us. So in reference to God, he will never fail us. His kingdom will never let us down. And there is no end to his love for us. 
But as we continue on in verse 8, we read, But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So prophecies will fail. Although I can prophesy, although I can come up here and study the Word of God all week and get in the presence of the Lord and I can share awesome words and studies and proclaim His truth and read His Word, it will fail because my ability to prophesy is not eternal because I am not eternal. So for me to build my life on my ability to teach the Word of God simply for teaching, for my own benefit, it will fail me. If I build my life on that, it will fail me because my body will fail. We only have a small time here on earth to do the works that he has prepared for us. The Bible says that there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. Does it not? So that time in between is a time to glorify God, not ourselves. It's a time to serve the Lord. The time to be in his word, to allow him to minister to us, to change us so we can help those people. That is the only reason we are here, is to glorify him in heaven. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Speaking in tongues, whether there are tongues, they will cease. We'll get into those in the next few weeks. Chapter 14, we'll learn about tongues, but tongues is a private prayer language with you and God built to edify your own spirit between you and him. And it's always from man to God. It's never from God to man. As you'll see, some people will speak in tongues and it'll be, my children, do this. No, that's not the way it works. It's always upward. It's a praising to the Lord. But they will cease because our ability to, to speak will cease. Our ability to proclaim truth on this earth will at one point cease because we will cease to exist. Again, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And in between that is a time to proclaim with our tongue the truth. We have the answer to what people are looking for. We need to take that seriously because at some point, our tongue will cease. And you know, you'll hear sometimes from people that aren't believers, I hear it a lot, and I used to even believe it, you'll hear, oh, I know my mother in heaven, my father, my sister, my brother, they're protecting me and they're looking over me and, and they talk to me and they say things. No, they don't. I'm sorry. Their tongue has ceased. You only get one chance on earth to speak on earth. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if someone from beyond the grave cannot talk to you, that's not the way it works. That's demonic stuff. That's somebody, the enemy that studied you and knows what your heart longs for, trying to deceive you. Our knowledge, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So all the Bible studies I have done up until this point, all the Bible studies I'll do over the course of my life, and all the things I learned from Pastor Johnny and Pastor Brian and from Calvin and from Pastor James Cadillus, I listened to messages, and Miles McPherson and Pastor John Randall, all these people that I love to listen to, and all the marriage conferences I go to and apologetics conferences I go to and pastoral conferences I go to. It will vanish away. It will be of no use to me at some point. Again, because my body will vanish away from this earth when I die. Right? So we don't just get knowledge just for the sake of having knowledge. 
We have knowledge for the sake of glorifying God with that knowledge. I don't go to a pastor's conference and learn all this awesome stuff for eight hours a day, three days in a row for me to just hoard it to myself. It's to be shared, to edify the body of Christ. And at some point, if I don't take advantage of that, that knowledge will vanish away. So every spiritual gift that God has given us will be of no use to us when we are gone from this earth. The gifts are only to be used here. We won't need them in heaven. As we see in verse 9, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Thomas Edison said, We do not know one millionth of one percent about anything. And I think that's maybe an overstatement. Right? You see it right now, especially this week in our culture, everybody's an expert on politics and the way culture should be and the way this person needs to be treated and that person needs to be treated and everybody's an expert all of a sudden. And they're angry about it because they think they know everything. I'm sorry, we don't know everything. We don't have full knowledge of anything. We can speak God's word to the best of our ability, right? We can study it over the course of our lives. We can teach it. Sometimes I can recall a verse. I'm like, yeah, let me give you a word. This is God's word. This is a verse, right? But sometimes I'm like, oh man, I think I know what you're talking about. I think that's in John. No, wait. James? No. Genesis. Let me check. You know, I don't know. Let me get my phone out and Google it because we don't have that ability because we only have a part of knowledge. We prophesy in part. We only have partial knowledge. It is not full. And we will always lack the knowledge we need because we're not yet perfected. The Bible says in 2 Peter, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Again, everything we need for our life is in the word. Every single thing that pertains to life and godliness is in the book that you hold. But we can't just recall it like that. Even the best minds in the world, the smartest pastors, the highest IQ can't just, they couldn't just cite the Bible to you word for word in order. We can only prophesy in part. Verse 10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. So what is that which is perfect? Right? Think about that. How about who is perfect? How about Jesus Christ is perfect, as the Bible says? And we're supposed to be perfect like him. That's how we were created in the Garden of Eden. We were perfect. Matthew 5.48 says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your Father is perfect. Right? So his desire for us is to be perfect, lacking nothing. When Jesus comes, that which is in part is to be done away with. There will be no more temporary. There will only be eternal. So in, re- in relation to the spiritual gifts again, when Jesus comes, we will have no need for that which is temporary. We will have no need for that which is in part. It will be done away with. Who's going to need to prophesy about Jesus when you're in front of Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. Why would we need that spiritual gift? And why would we need to teach a sermon in heaven? We're there. The Bible points us to heaven, points us to the cross, points us to Jesus. We're not going to need to teach in heaven. We're not going to need to speak in tongues. We're going to be speaking directly to the Lord, face to face. We're not going to have to have any more knowledge. We're not going to have to study. We're not going to have to go to school. We're not going to get any more degrees because our knowledge will be made full. We won't have to heal anybody or cast out demons in heaven because 
it's not going to be there. We're not going to lack anything. It will be added to us. And I cannot wait because I just hate being frustrated. I hate not knowing something and being confused. And that's just, my mind is just, it's not perfect. And it's really not that hard to confuse me. It's pretty, pretty easy, especially when I, you know, I'll read some of these sections and I'm like, man, Lord, like when I was teaching Revelation, you read some of those chapters and I'm all, I'm supposed to teach this? What is this? Thankfully, through prayer, I'm like, okay, Lord, show me what you got. And he's like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. There's no way I would have known that aside from the Lord. I don't know if you guys have studied Revelation. Some of you have been in our study over there on Tuesday nights, but that's all God. I mean, that is not me. It's some confusing stuff in there. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So here's a verse the Lord always brings me back to when I'm being ignorant, when I'm starting to slip up or stumble. He uses it in my life to show me that, ah, Josh, you're, you're being a bad kid right now. You need to stop being a baby. So we all know that we're sinners. We all know that we need a Savior. We all know that we fall short. We all know that we need to grow in the grace and truth that is in Jesus Christ. We all know those, those basic truths as Christians, right? We all know that we shouldn't steal. We all know that we shouldn't murder. Even if you're not a believer, you should know you shouldn't murder, shouldn't lie. Because God says his law is written on our hearts. So these are basic things that we should know as believers. So we all know what we know, but you don't know what you don't know. You follow? Again, we know what we know, but you don't know what you don't know. Hopefully that's clear. So some of us have more knowledge than others, which is true. Um, as we learned in verse uh, chapter 12, though, we are all baptized into the same spirit. We're all one body in Christ. So we all know the simple truths. We're all baptized as believers into that. We all know right from wrong. As a man, as a fully grown man right now, I know how to treat my wife. I know that I shouldn't cheat on her. I know I shouldn't go to a bank and rob a bank. I know I shouldn't go next door and steal somebody's car. I know these things because I'm a man and I've learned these things, right? As a child, maybe I didn't know these things because they weren't quite relevant yet. And I love the way Paul puts this in reference to children and men. And that's what he's saying here about our walk with Christ. As baby Christians, you know, maybe we don't know certain, certain things like how to balance grace and truth. Maybe we don't know certain things that we are to be our brother's keeper and I'm to keep my brothers and sisters accountable in the Lord. Maybe you don't know as a baby Christian that just because you aren't directly sinning doesn't mean that what you're participating in can't stumble someone else and that is also a sin. Maybe you don't know that, that you shouldn't stumble your brothers. You just don't know, right? But as we grow in the Lord, as we walk with the Lord, as we grow up, we should learn these things. And once you do know them, you should stop doing them. But as we grow in Christ, we are not to be ignorant. We are not to do that which is wrong. We're to try to put our best foot forward and do what we know is right. So here's a story. I once called Pastor Johnny, as I often do, and I was having a big pity party that day. I was like, oh, Pastor Johnny, can you pray for me? 
I need to start reading the Bible more. I need to start praying more. And I just, I just need God to give me a desire to read the Bible and to pray. And all I do is watch TV all the time and play on my phone. And I, oh, God help me. Uh, uh, right? Pity party. And you know what he said? He said, Joshua, it's always the right time to do the right thing. And I was like, oh, man, that's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to make me feel good. Like, okay, Josh, let's pray. Dear Lord, give Joshua this. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're my pastor. You're supposed to pray for me when I ask to be prayed for. Mm. But he gave me truth because that's what I needed. I didn't need grace because I knew what I should be doing. Right? Grace to the humble and law to the pride. And I was being prideful because I didn't want to do what I knew I should do. As I was sitting on the, the couch watching SportsCenter for four hours a day and playing on my app and checking my fancy football lineup or anything else but reading the Bible, I was doing, and I'm waiting for a desire from the Lord. Please help me. No, that's not how it works, guys. A desire does not precede the action. That's not the way God works. The action precedes the desire. Right? We know we should be reading the Bible. We know we should be going to church. We know we should be praying. We know we shouldn't be going out and partying on the weekends and getting blackout drunk. So for me to sit here and wait for a desire to read the Bible or to go to church, it's ignorant because the Bible tells me that. I don't need to wait for that. I need to do it. And when you do that, then God brings a desire through your faithfulness. You don't need to go to bars on the weekend and say, man, Lord, here I am. All right, uh, give me a desire to, to say no today. Stop putting yourself in this situation. Be obedient. Stop being a child. You know you shouldn't be at the bar. You know you shouldn't be on that website. You know you shouldn't be doing these things. Why do you keep putting yourself in this situation? Stop being a little child. And that's what little children do. They whine and they throw fits because they can't have their way. But we know we shouldn't be doing those things because God tells us in his word, It's called integrity. We need to put away childish things and grow up in the knowledge that God has for us and do those things. So if you're one of those people that struggles with that, oh, I just have it. I can't read my Bible. It's so hard. Well, just read it. Just open it. Turn off the TV. Put your phone down. Whatever. One verse a day. I don't know. Something. You just got to do it. And I promise you, as the word says, it won't fail you. You'll get that desire. You don't know what to pray? Here's an idea. Pray what to pray for. I do it all the time. Lord, I don't even know. Just, what am I supposed to pray for? Just talk to the Lord, be in his presence. And you're like, oh man, I didn't even think about that. Thank you. That's a good one. I'm going to pray for that. That's what his word tells us to do. We're to come humbly to his throne. You don't need spiritual gifts to do the right thing. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So the mirror Paul is talking about here is the word of God, right? So the word of God shows us what we are in and of ourselves. It shows us the example that we're supposed to be. It is the blueprint to how you are to operate for maximum efficiency, Right? So I think about this week, my wife's Jeep, we just bought it three months ago, the transmission went out. 
oh my gosh. And like for two weeks, we're like, what is that light that keeps coming on? I don't know. So what do we do? We open the manual. Hmm, let's see what the problem is. We should probably take it in to the dealership and get it fixed because I don't have the knowledge to fix a transmission, right? So that's what this is, guys. This is the owner's manual to you. Oh, man, I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with finances and, and lust and all these things. I don't know what to do. Hmm. It's in here. It's the blueprint. It's your instruction manual. Try Google. Verses about anxiety. First thing will come up, 72 verses on anxiety. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. That's how God intended it to be. We're not, to desi- we're not designed to operate like this. And again, we get back to the idea of limited knowledge in part and limited knowledge until we come face to face with the Lord and then we'll be made full. We'll be made new. All the mysteries of God will be made known to us. We'll look back and say, oh man, Lord, you remember when I was 16 and you took me through that four-year period and that was really terrible? You never really told me why. I understand now. And you're genius. That was awesome. That was perfect. That's just what I needed. But we won't know until we get there. All the mysteries will be made full. The greatest day we'll ever experience, the day when we know just as we are to be known, the day we are going to experience how it is we were intended to operate and be created. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And again, we are not created to operate like this, stressed, lacking sleep, anxious, insecurities, lacking in trust. We're, ex- we're created to experience nothing but God's love and a relationship with God. That's why we're created. People, it's just like you go on Facebook and people have all these motivational quotes and they're just so far off. What's my life purpose? And trying to figure it out. It's God. He created you for one reason, to be loved by him, and that's it. We weren't created to work 60 hours a week so we can save up a 401k and then die and pass it on to our kids. That's not a purpose. That's maybe a worldly purpose, but that's not why we were created. How sad would that be? And when you think about people that argue for evolution and things like that, of why we were created and it's all a big accident, I refuse to believe that. Because why would we be doing any of this? Why would we be going to work? Why would we be be nice to people? Like, why wouldn't we just behave like animals? Why would we be a moral being? Why would we have order? Why would we have law enforcement? There'd be no need for it. Why wouldn't we just be trying to live our lives to fulfill what I want? There'd be no, there'd be no point if evolution was, in fact, true. Because there's no purpose to life. And they can say, oh, well, my purpose is what I make it. No, it's not. There's no, you are an accident. And I know in my heart, and when I look at my son and my family and my wife, that the love I feel for them is not an accident. I refuse to believe that the day my son was born, that those were just random chemical reactions in my brain that make me feel a certain way towards him. No, that's the love of God that I feel towards my son and my wife. And that's how we were intended to operate all day long, every day, 24-7 for eternity. And what a glorious day that will be. But for now, as we're on this earth in verse 13, we're told to abide. We're told to abide in faith. We're told to abide in hope and love. But the greatest is love. 
So we're to abide in faith, faith in God's word, trusting that his word is true. Trusting that the promises he gives us are in fact real. Faith that we can make it through this life, that we can have salvation. Faith that we can overcome our shortcomings through his name. And as I said before, test it if you don't believe me. If you think you have a hurt like no one else has in the world, test it. Open your Bible. Put those things into practice and see what happens. Share with people here at church that are here to support you. You'll find real quick that people can relate to you a lot faster than you thought. Stop isolating yourself. Have faith in what the Lord tells you. We're to abide in hope. A hope of life. A hope of eternity. A hope of strongholds being broken and chains being destroyed. A hope in the cross that God made a way for you to get to heaven. A hope of healing. That's a word to have hope in. Not a hope of, again, our jobs, career, whatever this world throws at you. It's just, it's false hope. Only hope in Jesus is eternal. Not to live for this life. We're to make investments for the life after this. You think of eternity in the span of how we live, right? We only live 80, 90, 100 years if we're lucky. Eternity is, that's nothing in comparison to eternity. This is a preparation for us to enjoy how we were created to be. We're to have hope for that. And we're to abide in love. And the greatest is love. We're to abide in the love that he has provided for us. We're to be tapped into the vine so that we can produce the fruit of the Spirit, so we can produce agape love that God shows us. Because if we're not tapped into him, we cannot produce that kind of love. We cannot produce unconditional love. And that is how we are to be known as God's church, as God's people. As it says in John thirteen thirty five, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's how we are to be known to the world. Is that how we're known to the world? Is that how you're known to the people around you? A loving person? Or are you known as a judgmental person? You know, yesterday we had the men's breakfast and it was eye-opening. Johnny asked us a question. What do you think the state of the church is? And I was like, oh, I think the church is timid, scared, not bold. And someone else had the example of the church is like water. We need water for life, but we keep adding Powerade and, and different kinds of flavorings to make it better. So basically, the state of the church in our eyes is not that good. It's failing. But then we hear the truth, the word of God. That God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Has God taken a day off? No, he's building his church in spite of us. His will will be done in spite of us. Whether we participate or not, it's going to be done. Because his word tells us. And yes, there's a breaking down and a rebuilding process through everything that God does, right? So maybe we're just in a rebuilding process. I don't know. But we have to keep focus on love. And another thing he mentioned that really made me realize just how unloving churches are being the church of God is, why is it that these minority groups, the LGBT community, why is it that they feel more loved in their own community than they do at church? Why do they feel more accepted and loved in their own LGBT community than they do right here in the house of God? That shouldn't happen. Because we, again, we have the answer. We have 
The love that the world does not have. We have the unconditional sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So why are they not feeling that from us? I don't know. It's something we all need to come to terms with. How can I become more like you, Lord? How can I grow in your love, Lord? Teach me, Lord. We have to be seeking. Just like Noah, he walked with God. We have to be walking with God. Not send a quick text to the Lord. Oh, hey, Lord, how you doing today? Boop. Spend some time with him. Be in your word. Get to know him. Talk with him. Let him love you. Experience what he has for you. Because we can try to impress people with our gifts. You know, we can go out and we can heal cancer and we can cast out demons and we can preach messages. We could do all these miracles to amaze them. And wow, that's so cool. And let me tell you my testimony of what God's done in my life. It's going to change your life. Those are good things. But what changes hearts is love, is actions, is you representing the love of God to those people. You healing someone with cancer isn't necessarily going to save them because you cannot save them. You loving on them despite of who they are and what they do will save them because that's the love of God. You're representing God in their lives. And when they experience that love, that world, that love that the world cannot give them, a love that they've never seen, that, oh my gosh, I'm so wicked and I don't deserve any of this, and you show that you love them in spite of what they've done, that's what's going to change their hearts. Not miracles, not gifts, not tongues. You can't gift people into the kingdom of heaven. We have to love them. We have to show them God. Because it's God that does the work through us as a church, if we want to cooperate or not, in spite of us. So we have to stop trying to gift people into the kingdom of heaven. We have to stop trying to Bible thumb people. Let me tell you how terrible you are and how you messed up and how you're so wicked. And you're a sinner, and look how good I am. I can't believe you struggle with, with drinking and with pornography, and you're such a bad person. Is that what God did with you? Or did he take you right where you were? Again, as we look at this section of love as the greatest thing, as I said before, it's not that God loves you, because he does love you, but God is love. And he loves you unconditionally. He loves you in your sin. He loves you out. He loves you at your worst. He loves you at the best. And no point is there any less or any more. He just loves you. So we need to show that kind of love to the world so we can be a light in this world in this dark time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we again just thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the unconditional love that you give us, Lord. And, and mainly, we, we thank you for your love displayed on the cross as you sent your son to die for us, Lord. We thank you that it's just so easy to receive that love, Lord, to receive that free gift. That it's not by, by works, Lord, but it's by grace through faith that we are saved. That all we have to do, Lord, is call out to you, repent of our sins and believe that you are God and we will be reborn, Lord. We don't have to go to church. We don't have to read the Bible. We don't have to do any of these works that people try to make us believe, Lord, but we simply have to have trust in you and just receive that gift that you've given us. We just thank you for this amazing chapter that shows us what love truly is despite what the world may tell us, Lord. 
And I pray that your love would just continue to change us so that we can display it to this world. That we can display it to our communities, to our friends, to our families, to everybody, Lord. That we would be a a light set on a hill. That we would be a salt to the earth, Lord. And that you would live in and through us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.